Oh man, I'm so excited to talk Me about too. the finale. We've wanted to talk mm-hmm. about this chapter, particularly the ending, for half a year. Yes. <laughs> and it's really the ending that pushed us to create this podcast. Yes, it's our argument that pushed us <laughs> to create mm-hmm. this podcast. And without such a great script, I don't think we would have argued so much to the point where we're like, okay, we need to record this because someone needs to hear this kind of conversation. Exactly. Well, and it's just fun to talk about. But should we just start with the out-of-context summary yes. for the finale, Black yes, and White? Yes, do it. All right. Last out-of-context summary for Yakuza Zero. We have a very tense tea party. Someone is posing as Nishiki. And Dojima maybe needs to eat more bananas because it seems like he's having a lip cramp. Should we get into the chapter? Let's do it. Summarizing our opening scene, Majima refuses to sit and wait. Okoto needs to be moved somewhere more secure. And Dojima meets with the lieutenants and Laogui as we start to see Shibusawa come to power. So I guess the first thing we should mention is Makoto's alive, but unconscious. The doctor says she could wake any minute or never, which freaks Majima out. He says that he can't help her here. That's when he decides to, as he says, do something in her place. So he decides to go after Dojima, choosing to carry out her plan of revenge. And my first question for you is... What does this decision say exactly? Because earlier he didn't want to go through with this plan of revenge. So what exactly is he acting on now? Why did he change his mind? It's the combination of both his love for her and also incorporates carrying out her final wishes. And it's also his own determination to finally take matters into his own hands because right now, if he doesn't take action... No one else is going to on his behalf. So it's both out of love and out of determination. Or even just his emotions. I think he's, I think he's angry and scared of losing mm-hmm. her. So this whole game, a lot of his decisions have been based off of getting back into the Yakuza. In this decision, is he just not considering that at all? Is he not thinking about that at all? Is it just on the back burner? Because making this decision is kind of risky for that. It's definitely on the on the back burner of things. If he really prioritized that, he wouldn't be seeking revenge and having that determination. You can set the fire behind his eyes. And Sarah is looking at him the same way that Kuze was looking at Kiryu when he was like, oh, he's a real Yakuza now. Mm-hmm. Um, right after beating him up with the <laughs> iron pipe. But that's the determination behind them. And in both cases, they weren't driven by wanting to go back into the Yakuza. It wasn't like an opportunity to join back in. It was because of something else. And in this case, it's Majima's determination to act on Makoto's behalf and not so much as finding an opportunity to go into the Yakuza. Yeah, I, I like that perspective. And he's fighting for her, for her life, for her future. Even though he knows she might never even wake up. And that's crazy. But what do you think it says, like... He's doing this for her, even though she might not ever wake up. It's out of maybe another regret in the way where he regrets not saying something. And he's just 
acting out her final wishes. We move to uh, the lieutenants and Dojima. Shibasawa says that the Cosmo family needs to be exterminated. And through this conversation, Awano chimes in and says, okay, so what? You know, Cosmo turns up dead in jail. And Shibasawa sort of just immediately shuts him down. He's like, half measures like that. That's not how one gets to the top. And then he continues to say, outside of extortion, you're an amateur. <laughs> and then Awano starts to talk back and Shibasawa just stands and looks down at him. Doesn't even need to say anything, and Awano just shuts up. So you can really see how scary and powerful Shibasawa has become. Oh, well, we know that Awano and Kuse already failed, so it's not like they have much leverage. I feel like at this point, it doesn't take much to shut them up. Alright, next scene. Kiryu and Nishiki are still looking for Makoto, and Sarah calls Kiryu. Nishiki mentions that Majima paid Kashiwagi and him a visit. So now Kiryu knows about him. And then during this conversation, Sarah pages Kiryu. This is when Sarah reveals that Makoto was shot, but she's still alive, and that she started to regain her sight. And the key piece of information that the Dojima family thinks she's dead. And then there's an interesting line when Kiryu asks Sarah about Majima. Sarah thinks that he can trust him, but says, I can't predict what his next move is. Especially after chapter 15, we've seen that at least Shimano has been able to predict Majima pretty much spot on. So is Majima no longer predictable? I think so, and I think if Shimano was part of the scene, he would agree. Because I also don't think that Shimano predicted that Makoto was going to end up shot and triggering something in Majima to act on emotions and not so much as logic anymore. Nor is Shimano understanding that Majima is truly a free man right now. Yeah, and I think maybe Shimano got overconfident when he revealed to Majima that he had predicted everything. I think he had gotten so comfortable with being able to predict him that when he said that, he didn't realize that that was the end of that. Well, there's, there's, there is the opportunity, or not opportunity, there is the... I. I don't know what the word, not the opportunity, but there is. Oh, no, not another one of these. <laughs> don't get diarrhea. It starts with the O. Um, it's like the, I'm going to poop myself if I don't think of this. Describe what you're trying to say more and maybe I'll think of it. There, There is like a chance, like, what if this happened? It's uh, not. What is it? <laughs> um, it's like you can't eliminate it. Oh, my God. Oh, no, my keyboard disconnected. <laughs> oh, <laughs> There's still like. A, a chance? An odd? There's still odds of it happening? There's still possibility, sorry. No, it was not. I don't know where It was going. not possibility. That's too simple of a word. <laughs> Do not tell me it was possibility. I, I swear, it started with an O. Synonym. It starts with an O. I'm, s I'm gonna break my keyboard over my knee. <laughs> it might be possibility, but I don't think it is. If. If it was, you would have screamed as loud as I screamed when we thought of my word. Plausibility! That's what it was! Plausibility! <laughs> okay, so start over. I don't know what you're saying anymore. It's still plausible that Shimano purposely told him that just to make Majima upset to become unpredictable because Shimano predicted Majima would become unpredictable. I don't think we can know for sure. You know, does 
We don't know. Does yeah. Shimano turn Majima into the mad dog? Is he a product of Shimano's control or is it free will? I think this is a great topic for the finale and maybe even for the summary of the whole series. At this point, we learn that if Makoto wakes up, the lot will go to Sarah and the Nikyo. And this is when Sarah reveals that this was always Kazuma slash Tachibana's plan, and then he would become the Tojo clan's successor instead of Dojima. Sarah's power is pretty close to or even equivalent to Kazuma's power. To be able to take on that that burden in a way, Sarah's not weak in any way. Yeah. He's just hidden, but he's not weak. Yeah, he, I think we've mentioned it before, but he seems like the most level-headed, calm, in-control character in this entire game. And I think you can see how that has aided him in this with everyone else scrambling. So Kiryu meets up with Nishiki, who tells him the Dojima family is after them. And Kuze and Kiryu butt heads one more time. Some Dojima family goons spot them. But they're very polite. They don't attack them until they finish their conversation, in which they make a plan for Nishiki to go to the Cosmo family office and for Kiryu to handle these goons. But then Kiryu runs into Kuze once again. First thing to mention, the poop glasses are still gone. They have not been replaced. And also, why is Kuze trying this again? How many times has he lost to Kiryu? But here's the thing. Kuze's lost twice to... Kiryu? Three times. <laughs> oh, three times, yeah. Three times, yes, I forgot about it. So he's like, he kind of has nothing to lose, like he already lost his dignity, and I mean, not completely, but enough that he doesn't care, he just needs one win. It doesn't matter how many times it takes him, he just wants to get his chance at beating Kiryu. But Kiryu doesn't want to fight, because he's finally using his brains over his fist, and he doesn't need to fight mm-hmm. Kuze. He knows he's better than him. Yeah, and Kuze does mention the only thing driving me is pride. But he even couldn't do it with brass knuckles and backup. I it just seems like he knows he's gonna fail. And then I don't I think it's Kiryu who says, let's do it for real this time, you and me. But does it really get any more real than a motorcycle poop tube fight? Was that not the pinnacle of their fighting? I think he's just lying to himself, thinking that that wasn't the real deal. I don't know at what point in the fight it was, but I I do have a question. Well, starting with Kuze tells Kiryu that Kazama wanted to keep him from joining the Yakuza, and that's why he didn't want Kiryu and uh, Ishiki to join. And I can't tell if he's being sincere about whatever he's telling Kiryu. So the question to you is, do you think that Kuze was telling the truth. I think he's telling the truth mostly because of what we'll see at the end of the chapter. Later on, Kiryu will say that one of the reasons Kazuma sent him to Tachibana was so that he would have a real job. Well, what do you think is the reason why Kuze would tell Kiryu? Like, he had plenty of chances to tell him this, but he chooses right now. Why do you think Kuze wants to tell him right now when he could have told him before or later? I think that he is, in a way, asking Kiryu for help. He wants him to take down Shibusawa. And so I think him saying that, like, this is your choice. Are you going to be a real Yakuza or not? 
is him saying, are you going to help? Are you going to take down Shibusawa, who's kind of a snake? Um, and I think we've covered some of mine, but just backpedaling a little bit. Kuze's quote that you referenced is, in referring to Kazuma, he knew this would happen. He held it back, tried to keep you from turning into a real Yakuza. And so my notes on this, did the Dojima family, like, unleash Kiryu? You know, are they to blame for him turning into a real Yakuza for setting him up? I think so. It's so funny because they're the reason that kind of held Kiryu back by just keeping him under everyone's thumbs. But they're also the reason that initiated everything from kicking him out. They let him go. And so everything is kind of on the three mm-hmm. lieutenants' actions that forced Kiryu to start becoming a strong player. Yeah, I think they sort of underestimated him from a first impression. Kiryu mm-hmm. just seems sort of, you know, docile. But I think they failed to estimate mm-hmm. who he really is and how hard he would fight for Kazuma. So continuing on, Kuze mentions that there's another guy fighting to become a real Yakuza right now, and he seems to be referencing Shibusawa, and tells Kiryu that he's at the Nikio Consortium and asks him to go there. So my question to you, is Kuze good or bad? Because he helps Kiryu more than once, and especially right now. He beats him up, so there's that, but I'm not 100% convinced that he's the villain that we think he is. I feel like Kuze's bad whenever he's around someone else in the Yakuza, and he's good when it's just him and Kiryu. But when he's in front of everyone, I feel like his intentions go back to whatever brings the most good to the Yakuza. Yeah, agreed. I think I think he's more committed to the Yakuza maybe than, say, like, Awano is. So maybe that is what drives the decisions that make him a bit more villainous. And then he sort of drops a big piece of information. He knows Makoto is still alive and says, Shibusawa had the hitman shoot her, but he didn't want to aim to kill. Hasn't told that to Patriarch Dojima, though. So did Shibusawa play Dojima? Yes, I do think that Shibusawa wants Dojima to see. He's too smart to let someone be more powerful than him. And he wants to be, like, the real Yakuza compared to everyone else. Like, he wants to take it a step further. And so in this situation, that's why he probably went behind Dojima's back. And I think it's just trying to undermine him in subtle ways where Dojima's not going to figure out it's him. Yeah, he's been very subtle this whole game, sort of just hiding in the background. But now he's making his moves, and he's making bigger moves than I think we expected him to as the audience. We were just saying that, oh, he wants to be the captain of the Dojima family, but now he's going over the top guy in the family. That seems dangerous, but it doesn't seem like the kind of risk we've seen him want to take. Then at the end of the scene, Kiryu says, I'm ready for whatever comes and leaves. And I think this might be the last time we see Kuze. And then Kiranishiki head to Shibara. Okay, here's a question I have for this place. In the subtitles, both Sarah and Nishiki say Shibara, but the location slash like timestamp screen when they arrive there says Shibuara. So I flipped the U and the A, and so I don't know which one's correct, but 
Shibara seems easier to say. <laughs> so I think I'm going to stick with AU instead of UA. So yeah, they're on their way there. End of scene two. Any more notes for you? That rhymed. Nope, I'm going to leave it at the rhyme. So scene three, Majima leaves to carry out Makoto's revenge, and something seems to be a bit different about him. So we start a scene with Majima. He bumps into the same guys who he let beat him up earlier, and he returns the favor. Why does he do this? Is he just angry? Is he cleaning up his mistakes? I definitely think it's to show them that you got to pass at the weak Majima, but this is not the same Majima as the one that you encountered. This is the new me, and I'm going to beat the <laughs> crap out of you. And I think even Sagwa has the same question. He's like, why are you wasting time beating up street trash? But yeah, then Sagwa shows up and Majima sort of tells him off. It's apparent he's done being controlled here. And one note I have is that Sagawa is still out of the loop. Majima is still keeping secrets from him, even though every time he's done this, Sagawa's found out and has punished him. He doesn't care and he's still keeping secrets from him. What do you think that says? I think he knows deep down he can't trust Sagawa. Yeah, definitely he can't trust him. But Sagawa's made threats against him. You know, like, that can get you thrown back into the hole if you keep secrets from me. But he's still risking that for Makoto. And then Majima says that he's not trying to find Makoto anymore until Sagawa, she's down, and is going to go get revenge on Dojima. His quote is, Tell Shimano the empty lot is nobody's now. It's lost in the shadows. Does he lead them to believe she's dead? He doesn't clarify when Sagawa asks, so she's dead. It's Majima's way of protecting Makoto. Yeah, agreed. I think he even might just be doing it to spite Sagawa. Just like, I am done telling you everything. But then Sagawa sort of places a hand on him and Majima says, get your hands off of me. I'm done taking orders. And he continues on to say, leave the girl alone. Anyone makes another move on her. Even if it's Shimano himself, I'll be there. So he's clearly not afraid of Shimano anymore and thus can no longer be controlled by him, which we've mentioned a little bit. I found it interesting that Sagawa doesn't address this or correct Majima about going against Shimano. Why do you think that is? Why do you think he just lets Majima walk away? I think it might be his way of letting Majima realize that he's not chained in Shimano and Sagawa's cage. I think that's his way of letting Majima know he's free from that. Yeah, but why? Does he just know that they can't control him anymore? Is Sagawa aware of that? Because Sagawa's not stupid. He's an ass, but he's not stupid. He even says he finally broke out of his cage, referring back to the chapter 3 title of A Gilded Cage. Majima's officially busted out of it. Sagawa confirms this. So does he just know like that their cage can't contain him anymore, and so he doesn't even bother trying? I'm actually thinking that Sagawa secretly wants to use Majima as a, in a way to piss off Shimano, to force Shimano to reveal more of his hand to Sagawa, thinking that they're going to be buddy and thinking that Sagawa still has control over Majima. So I think he's letting him loose just to see what Shimano is going to do about it. A similar thought. I think he's kind of amused or glad at Shimano sort of failing here. I think he's still a little butthurt at Shimano for keeping so much of the plan from him. But then... Does Sagawa coin Majima's 
legendary nickname. He says, Mad Dog is here, and that will become his nickname in the future games. Did Sagawa coin that? It seems like it. It's so funny because the way I was picturing it in my mind is that Sagawa was letting loose a rapid dog just to see who's going to react to it. So he lets loose a mad dog just to get people to react so he can have better tabs on what's going on. When he says, you know, he finally busted out of his cage, do you think he just knew that Majima was capable of this? And that's why he says he finally busted out? Because he knew it was coming? Or did he actually want to see Majima take his life back? Because I think he does have some respect for him. I think he likes him. I think the way their relationship is, like Sagawa and Majima's relationship, is very, very similar to Kusei and Kirio's mm-hmm. relationship. In a way where you both want to control, yet you respect Yeah. Someone. And then Majima shows up at Dojima HQ, and at this point, he calls himself a hitman, which is interesting because he called himself a joke of a hitman to Makoto earlier, and was very hesitant to take up that role. But now he calls himself a hitman and says, I'm Makoto's special delivery, and that's where the scene ends. Do you have any more notes on it? I did want to just kind of point out that... He's breaking free from the geographic location of Sotenbori. He's breaking free of being under Sagawa and Shimano's control. He's breaking free from being a slave of trying to protect Makoto. And he, in a way, he seems like he gave up, or temporarily gave up, on wanting to help redeem Sejima. You bring up a good point. I think, or I have to wonder if... A lot of the things that Majima has chosen to sort of shackle to himself, like the guilt around the Saejima situation, has that a lot of that been, has he done that to himself and is he letting go of that at this point? I think so. I think he is a really responsible person, which is why he had that much guilt on. But at this point, he's not doing everything for himself again. Going back to your earlier question, he's really doing this to fulfill Makota's wishes, her dying wishes Mm -hmm. at that time. And so he's putting down and putting away everything off to the side and just focusing on one thing right now. Are we ready for scene four? Yes. The Dojima family arrives at the Nikkyo Consortium's front porch. Kiryu and Nishiki get some backup, and Nishiki takes a risk to help Kiryu. Kiryu and Nishiki are prepared to fight an entire army by themselves. What makes them think they can do this? It seems kind of stupid. I don't want to call them stupid, but there's like a hundred guys there, and there's just two of them. They have adrenaline on their side. (laughs) I think that's all it is. It seems risky. Thankfully, the Cosmo family shows up, and through the rest of the scene, we see that Shibusawa is now in possession of Makoto, and eventually Kiryu fights his way up to face Shibusawa. To summarize the next scene... Majima continues his rampage and makes it up to Dojima. He seems kind of insane now. Um, (laughs) Even one of the uh, family members says he's got a screw loose. And he looks it. He seems kind of crazy. I feel like just from controlling him in this fight sequence, it feels like they increased his strength. I don't know if you could lose this fight as Majima. 
It's like he's just, he's been unleashed. Like, he is the mad dog now, as Sagawa says. And he's got crazy person strength. It's a silly note, but you notice that the red carpet is probably going to hide all the blood stains. <laughs> Maybe the carpet used to be white. We don't know it wasn't. Eventually, Majima makes it up to Aono. And also, just real quick, before they start fighting, we've seen a lot of them rip their suits off by this point. And my burning question for you is, do none of them have armpit hair? Because I have not seen any... Apparently, no. Apparently, they wax it. <laughs> What'd you say? Apparently, they wax it. Apparently, they do. None of them have chest hair, either. They're just bathing in nair, and it all melts off. <laughs> okay, so should we go into tattoo analysis for Awano, then? Yes. Awano's tattoo on his back is of the Momotaro, which is similar to James and the Giant Peach, uh, in a way where there's a peach. <laughs> it's a big peach. <laughs> yeah, there's a boy in that peach. And the old couple can't have kids, and so they pray to have a kid, and this kid shows up in the peach, and he, he grows up, he has magical abilities, and goes to fight, has some companions on his way when he's slaying the dragon, and happily ever after. So it seems like this tattoo is something of good luck to show that no matter what adventures and what journey you have, it's going to end in a good way. So it makes sense that Awano being the adventurous type, it's normal that he would think that he's so happy-go-lucky, so the tattoo really reflects on his personality. Yeah, just to build off of you, I found a very similar story, but that he, so he goes to an island to defeat demons that were tormenting their village or something, and he does this by convincing three talking animals to help him. And I've been trying to figure out, like, in the Yakuza, like, in this game, who could the three talking animals be? But I can't find anything. Yakuza Wiki makes a compelling argument. You don't go on there because you don't want to see spoilers, but I can. So Yakuza Wiki makes a connection that Momotaro defeats demons. And they say, to quote them, this is likely a reference to how he would eventually clash with Majima, who has a demon motif and a Hanya tattoo. So that's an interesting connection. He does eventually fight a demon, if you will, um, but he loses, so not the same ending. And then also in my research, I found that a lot of Momotaro tattoos are of him as a little boy <laughs> and still emerging from the peach, which I found really funny. But in comparison, Aono's tattoo is like a grown man with a sword cutting off a demon's head. So perhaps Ano's is just him all grown up. But I do think that Ano definitely sees himself as capable of defeating odds and enemies that are, you know, greater than he is. And that he may see himself as someone worthy of having a legend attached to his name. And maybe this is why he relates to Momotaro. Alright, anything else from the tattoos for you? Nope. Alright, so before they start fighting, he continues with his monologue saying to Majima... I was the Yakuza Mint, but somewhere along the line, getting bloody started to feel like a pain in the ass. So I have a question. Has the Yakuza lost its touch for Awano? You know, is why he started chasing the easy life. Is it because it's just lost its touch? It's changed? I don't know, but I feel like something must have happened in Awano's backstory 
that made him the way he is. I feel like there's something we we're missing from his backstory, but I, I'm convinced that something happened to make him want to change, like something drastic that made him mm-hmm. do 180 and change to be the way he is now. Yeah, I agree because it seems like he's not having fun. So I don't know why he's living the way he is, but yeah, I would love to see more Awano backstory. This conversation makes it seem like there is a lot more depth to him than we've seen previously in this game. But then during the fight, he punches a cinder block wall and cracks it. There's no way. There's no way, Kathy. He did not actually do this. <laughs> is it even possible? Well, I mean, when Majima was fighting Nishitani in the prison, didn't he, like, crack the cement wall behind Nishitani? I don't know. Was it a punch or a knife stab? That's a good point. I actually don't remember. Either way, both seem improbable, and this crack is huge. Yeah, it's exaggerated way too much. It definitely is. But Majima beats him, and... Continuing in his conversation with Majima, he says, Maybe if I was more like you, I could get to the top. And that's when Majima responds, He's seen a few guys who lived like idiots, but they died like idiots. But then he goes on to say that that lifestyle made them some of the best people he's known. And he's referencing Lee and Nishitani. And we'll see how, especially Nishitani's character, affects Majima moving forward but do you think you know that crazy lifestyle idiotic lifestyle that he's sort of referencing why do you think that resonates with him so much is it is he seeing people live with freedom since he's been you know in his cage for so long do you think that's what it's about I think it motivates him but I don't think it's solely about that Mm -hmm. but I also don't know what else it could be yeah, it's part of me thinks it's just writing to sort of give us reasoning for his character change moving forward. But yeah, living freely is sort of the only connection I can really make for why he resonates with their lifestyles so much. So then Lao Gui shows up and Awano saves Majima's life, takes a bullet for him, and then takes some claws through the shoulders for him. Why does he do this? Why does he take the bullet for Majima? I'm laughing how you asked that question because that's exactly my question. And I, part of me thinks, and I don't think this is accurate, but I just want to throw it out there. Thinking that Awano probably sees Majima in a way where he wants Majima to continue living on his behalf to fulfill things that he couldn't have done himself. And that's why he's sacrificing himself. Because he is too old to redeem himself, and he messed up too much. But Majima hasn't, so it's more of a, like, live for me. I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, by the way, Nishitani did the same thing. He took a bullet for Majima, too. What does this say about Majima? Are these men just, like you said, wanting him to live for them? Why do people He's keep taking bullets for. for him? Yeah, but why? <laughs> do they just see... Like, his potential? I think his charisma, his his charm, I think it's... If they went off of a gut feeling, he seems to be someone who you can trust. Yeah. I mean, Makoto trusted him, and girl was blind, and yet she's <laughs> blind trust. <laughs> oh, boy. Almost as bad as Saga was. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I, I feel like he just has that vibes, I guess, that yeah. is causing others to trust him and to die for him. I agree. And I think it might be sort of the the honesty factor. We've talked about this, like, just unending honesty with Majima. He doesn't lie. He tells it exactly as it is. And I think that might be a reason why people attach to him so easily and so quickly. And then Dojima is with Lao Gui. Who is controlling Lao Gui right now? Because we know Shibusawa went behind Dojima's back, but now Dojima's with him. And we'll soon make a comment to Majima that he's controlling him. Is Lao Gui just taking whoever's money he can and doing what they ask? I was just thinking, who's controlling him? And at first I thought it would be Shibusawa. But in a way, what if Dojima himself was letting Lao Gui take Shibusawa's money and let him think that he's betraying Dojima when it's actually him who knows every single thing of Laogui's actions. Like, what if Laogui never really betrayed Dojima? The only issue with that is um, later when Sarah says that Makoto's still alive, he's surprised. So I think he, this whole time, he thinks Makoto's dead. But it's confusing. My theory is Laogui is a hitman. He takes money to shoot people. He just is going to take money where he can get it. But it seems like a dangerous game. Yeah, exactly. He's just loyal to money. Well, I think it's time for us so long. Yeah. I don't think there will be much contest between us on if he's a mother respecter or a mother. (laughs) For me, Awano is definitely a mother. (laughs) Solely for shooting that dancing woman seemingly just to get Kiryu's attention but also for being so cocky without having the skills to back it up. We see him fail at extorting Kiryu and later see him getting shut down by Shibusawa. He seems to have a lot more respect for himself than others do for him, maybe because they can see he's just using the Yakuza to gain a comfortable life and therefore isn't respecting the organization enough. But yeah, for me, he's a mother effer. All I needed to see was him shooting that woman. (laughs) Agreed. I agree that he's a mother because, yes, I think the the main thing that sealed it was just shooting the dancer, the girl and stuff, but it's also that he's just such a slime ball too. He really is. <laughs> he's yeah. very slimy. And I think when we did Nishitani's so long, we sort of talked about, is him intending to ditch Shibasawa and help Majima out, and then him sacrificing himself for Majima. Were we starting to see some evidence that maybe if we got to know him better, he could be a mother respecter? I think contrasting no. that, <laughs> I think contrasting that, because we see something similar with Awano, where he sort of opens up and then sacrifices himself for Majima. I think the difference is Nishitani actually does it for Majima. I think Awano more does it for himself, which sounds weird, but... I think he's sort of just doing it to, I don't know, have a legacy or it feels more selfish in some way. Do you know what, I, what I'm trying to say? I feel like Awano's trying to, he's like in the negative zone. I feel he's just trying to bring himself neutral. So he's not really doing it for others. I think he's just trying to make himself look less bad. Yeah. Anything else for you for the so long? Nope. All right. Goodbye, Awano. We will not miss you, apparently. <laughs> we did not like you. Majima defeats Lagwe in front of Dojima, and 
is just kneeing him in the face nonstop. And Dojima gets terrified at this. He's super afraid of Majima. And I think it's really funny to see Dojima, who's been so all-powerful, get so terrified in this moment. And I think there's more to the power thing, because Dojima defines his power as having the money to afford a hitman and for lackeys to help him take care of things. And then you have, on the other hand, you have like people like Tachibana who see power as like the ability to control a city. So when Tachibana moved his hand over, like lights are past the window, you see the lights going off. That's how he sees his power. And right now, Dojima feels pretty powerless in a way where he doesn't have that same level of people carrying out his orders for him to protect him so he doesn't have to get his hands dirty. And he's feeling defenseless and weak. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. His his money failed him, basically. He was so convinced that Lao Guay, being the best hitman in Asia, would be able to handle Majima. And when that fails, he's like, oh crap, I can't fight. Like, <laughs> Lao Guay's down. Oh no, I'm vulnerable. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think his money is what he figured would buy him safety. And when that fails, he's got nothing left and he is... Probably peeing his pants. Next scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Kiryu goes head-to-head with Shibusawa, and we learn about what drives Shibusawa's actions. So, Shibusawa has a line where he talks about Makoto, saying she's done her part. And Kuzi sort of referenced this earlier. Basically that, they were using her to ferret out Sarah and Kiryu and Nishiki. So, I mean, yeah, is that what happened? Did Shibasawa use Makoto and did he shoot her just for that purpose? I think it's two birds, one stone. Um, one, to make Dojima think that she's dead, but it's also to get her to cooperate because he knows that Makoto's pretty feisty right now. She's not going <laughs> to go down without chloroforming her. <laughs> Did you say chloroform? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, do you really think that Makoto's just gonna let him no, of course take her not. hostage and then drag people? <laughs> so of course, he's gonna restart to chloroform. <laughs> but he shot her instead. I don't I don't understand where the chloroform is coming from. It was either that or to shoot her, so... Yeah, I, I think he had to shoot her because Dojima wanted her dead so that he could acquire the lot. But Shibasa was more concerned with his power being attacked by Kazuma loyalists in the future, so he kept her alive to sort of ferret them out. And that's why he goes over Dojima's head, makes it look like she's dead. But Shibasawa reveals that his goal is to persass. Uh, <laughs> his goal is to persass. Um, his goal is to surpass Kazuma. And he wants a legacy, and he starts talking about his father, who was a politician, but never got any credit for his hard work and ended up hanging himself. And it seems like the imprint that that left on Shibusawa is, he wants credit, he wants what he's due, and that's why he entered into the Yakuza, but then he says that the Yakuza turned out to be just like politics, But there's one thing that brings Yakuza to heel, a title that commands respect. So, 
I have a question for you. I think he's a hypocrite because if a title does command respect, why did he go over Dojima's head? Does he, in fact, not respect Dojima's title? Because that's how it looks. I think he had this mindset when he didn't have respect. And he didn't understand why people acted the way they do. And so when he himself moves up and finally has that respect, he forgot his old humble ways of thinking that he starts acting like the people who he used to hate. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's part of his evolution of going up higher and higher up this Yakuza ladder. And that's why he's being hypocritical. Because he, he didn't understand that in this past. And now that he has power, he probably would look back to his old self and go like, what were you thinking? Yeah, I think he, he wants power by almost any means necessary. And I think in his sort of blind quest to do that, he doesn't realize how much he doesn't respect the titles of those above him. But I think it's pretty hypocritical to say titles command respect in the Yakuza while he's literally going behind his patriarch's back. I like your thinking. You're a lot of thought. I finally got out what I was trying to say. It usually takes me a couple of tries. <laughs> yeah, same here. That's why we have editing. Exactly. And it's a pain in the ass. Um, and then Shibasawa goes on to reveal some dark truths about Kazuma. He was a hitman and has done some dark things to get to his level of power in the Yakuza. Is this one of the reasons why Kazuma was so mad at Kiryu and Nishiki when they wanted to join the Yakuza? Did he not want to see them do the things that he had to do? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I, I feel like I don't know Kazuma enough, though. And then also throughout this game... You know, multiple people tell Kiryu, like, Kazuma didn't want this for you. He didn't want you to go into the Yakuza and live this sort of life. But we never hear that about Nishiki. And we see Kazuma try to set Kiryu up with a real job in real estate. He doesn't do that for Nishiki. Does he not care if Nishiki ends up in the Yakuza? Like, what's what's going on there? I actually think that it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he knows Nishiki will follow Kiryu wherever he goes. And Nishiki won't leave Kiryu. He's not going to take a job if Nishiki's not part of it. Okay. And so, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You, you might as well just, again, instead of working, doing duplicate efforts, why not just do whatever it takes to help get Kiryu out? And then naturally, Nishiki is going to come out of the Yakuza. Okay. Hold on to that thought and save it for the next game because I'm really okay. curious to see how that will fit in to the next game. Can you write on a note? No, my pen's running out of ink. No! Unacceptable. It's one of the good ones. <laughs> oh, tragic. How do you use up all the Sharpie G2 Are you one? kidding? How much do you write? I got uh, just another note. Mm -hmm. Um... Wasn't wasn't you talking about like money, power, glory doesn't beat legacy or something like that? Yeah, I don't remember the exact quote. I can't remember, but I, I did have a note just saying that like all three of them and then an arrow going to a legacy. There's a character that represents each one of those components that builds up to a legacy where the money aspect, you have Awano who just loves to show off his money. And then you have power, which you have that with Tachibana who 
really has that control over the city. That's the power. Mm-hmm. And the glory is Shibusawa just trying to get the title that he wants. He cares about that glory and the title. But all those three components build up into a legacy. And right now, besides Kazama, no one really has reached that level of being a legacy. Yeah. No one's on Kazama's level. Yeah, he even says, like, Kazuma's in a league of his own. And, it, I mean, is everyone just trying to play catch-up to Kazuma? Pretty much. It really seems like it. And everyone knows who he is. It drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did just read another quote. If we can go back to the dark side of Kazuma. Shibasawa mentions Tachibana and Makoto, and he questions Kiryu. Do you really think he didn't know? that he would be leading them into a dangerous situation. And so he sort of blames, mm-hmm. I mean, his actions. He ordered Makoto to be shot, and he later takes credit, I guess, for killing Tachibana. So he's blaming Kazuma for his own actions, but in a way, do you think that he's right that Kazuma dragged them into this knowingly? I think it's for greater good that you have to have some sacrifices in order to... To accomplish something so i i think that that's one of the questions i had is do you think you will either agree or disagree with shibusawa's picturing of kazama and and to answer my own question i'm just thinking that uh <laughs> that kirio wouldn't care similar to our, our original question but doing this not out of selfishness or out of malicious intent but to do this for greater good, to stop a city from being conquered by someone like Dojima, you have to make sacrifices. And that's where I think the difference is they are okay with the, the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and Tachibana went to Kazuma in the first place. So maybe Kazuma isn't 100% responsible for, for dragging them into this. Tachibana is sort of to blame as well, even though... He was doing it to protect Makoto. I agree. I think you're right that putting two great minds together, you have Tachibana and Kazama together, there's no way they wouldn't have thought of every single outcome and contingent plans if that happened. Mm-hmm. So I do know that there was a risk of Makoto getting hurt, but it was a risk they're willing to take. Is it time for tattoo analysis now? Yeah, I think we're ready. So Shirasawa has a green dragon tattoo. In general, green dragons or dragons of all kinds are intelligent creatures. And this really matches up with Shibusawa's personality because he did a lot of planning. He waited his chance. He didn't just pounce on any opportunity to kill Makoto without thinking what the repercussions would be. And he's a fierce enemy. I found some similar stuff. I found that green dragons are usually considered smaller or minor dragons and that they're according to mythology not as powerful and is this just a dig on shibusawa um but i also found that a tattoo of a green dragon would be good for someone who has matured throughout their life and that it can symbolize like lessons learned and growing and becoming a new person. So I can definitely see how Shibasawa's tattoo relates to him as, you know, he at first waits patiently in the background, not really minding being this lesser dragon, but his patience pays off when he is successful in earning the captain's position. 
which ties into the connection of maturity growth and becoming a new person. You can definitely make connections to his character, and I just really hope that they're sort of taking a dig at him by giving him a lesser dragon. I hope so, too. <laughs> he deserves he it. He does. Um, anything else on the tattoo for you? Yep. So I noticed something, right, as they're starting to fight, or right before they start fight, when they square up. Shibasawa's pants are black and Kiryu's are white. Does this connect to the chapter title, Black and White? Oh, that's good. I didn't I didn't catch that. That's good. Is this the t- what the title is referencing? I was like, oh, it's two dragons. But one's black, one's white. Black and white. They're clashing. <laughs> I got really That's excited. That's good, because I didn't... Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't figure out where exactly the black and white goes. Yes, and then to continue on with this sort of the similarity between them, as they're fighting, they have the same fighting styles. You can clearly tell, especially if you've been playing the game because he's got some of the same moves as Kiryu does and then as the fight progresses they move into like beast mode which is when they have the chair fight and they're both just slinging chairs at each other and then they finish off with rush I think and so it's very interesting they're both dragons Shibasawa's like there can only be one dragon of Dojima and they're squaring up and they're pretty equal having the same fighting styles is so cool because it shows how equal and how similar they are and how why there can only be one of them. Shibasawa wanted to be the dragon of Dojima, but it ends up being attributed to Kiryu later on in the series, which sort of proves Kiryu's point that glory can't be forced. In this moment, Shibasawa does indeed turn out to be the lesser dragon, the minor dragon, the green dragon in comparison to Kiryu's black dragon. So I think, again, his tattoo comes into play right after we see it for the first time. Any notes for you before he starts quoting Kuze? Nope. All right. So after the fight is over, Shibasawa says that there's just one thing he learned from Kuze that a Yakuza can hold on hasn't lost yet. And he says he's going to hang on and eventually he'll kill Kiryu, Kazuma, Makoto. He says, I'll kill you all like I killed Tachibana. And by the way, Oda, who he doesn't mention. I feel like we need to talk about that. I feel like we sort of... We were focused on the so long for Oda that we kind of skated over how cold Shibusawa was when he killed him. I mean, yeah, out of all the characters in this game, Oda did kind of deserve it, you know, as much as anyone deserves to die. But Shibusawa held eye contact and didn't even blink as he just killed him. Does he just see this as a calculation or a simple work task that needs to be taken care of? Is he just completely detached from his humanity? I feel like we need to address this, and we totally missed it back in that chapter. I think he's a bit of a psychopath. I would agree. Yeah. His his dad and everything just impacted him probably to a level that we don't realize how deep it is. Oh, yeah. That's his villain story, and I feel like at some point he probably turned off his emotions because he realized emotions are going to hold him back. And that's why he's able to kill someone without even blinking or feeling any sort of remorse. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that he has lost humanity. He's just a a calculating murder robot now. And it kind of seems like, well, it it is that Shibasawa is trying to get Kiryu to kill him. He says, do it, kill me, follow in Kazuma's footsteps and become a true Yakuza. Why is he trying to get him to kill him 
I don't know. I feel like I'm conflicted because my first thought is that he's just trying to get Kiryu to go to the dark side to take over him. That if he dies, there needs to be another psychopath in the Yakuza world. But at the same time, it might be like a, a Shimano situation where he knows he can predict that Kiryu's not going to kill him. And so he's just going to talk to him because he's going to get mad. And then he's going to find his opening to kill Kiryu as a distraction tactic because he's predictable. But then is Kiryu going to kill him because Nishiki shows up and stops him? So we don't know if he would have followed through with that death punch. But when he says, kill me, follow in Cosmo's footsteps, is that really what Kiryu wants? Does he want to be a true Yakuza? Does he want to follow in Cosmo's footsteps after learning more about what he's done? You know, is he still committed to living his life in the same way that he has been planning to now that he's realizing what it might mean in terms of what he has to do? Good question. I don't really know. I feel like one hand, he probably thinks he can be a Yakuza with ethics and be a better Yakuza than Kazama in the sense that he's doing the right thing. But at the same time, I feel like he doesn't even care about being a Yakuza after everything he's been mm -hmm. through. I agree. And I think we'll get a better answer to this question by the end of the game. Are you ready for scene seven? Mm-hmm. All right, so... Oh, I just wanted to point out at the end of scene six how cute it is that Nishiki and his voice his sound of reason is what gets Kiryu to go back to his senses. Yes, and and a tackle, to be fair. He has to tackle him. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, scene seven. I'm so excited. Yes. Okay, now we are back to Majima, and he has to make a difficult decision, and the empty lot changes hands. Sarah starts talking to Majima. He tells him what killing Dojima and Laogue would do to Makoto. He says her hands would be clean, but only because yours are soaked in blood. And goes on to say there's no way to repay someone for killing on your behalf. He asks Majima, how did you feel when Saijima killed 18 people without you? And that's what we've been seeing Majima struggle with this whole game. I think his history with Saijima is what ultimately leads him to listen to Sarah in this moment. He doesn't want to burden Makoto. And as much as he's got Laogue and Dojima where he wants them, which is impressive, it's so satisfying to see Laogue so terrified. It makes Tachibana's death a bit easier to swallow, yes. knowing that Laogue was part of it and, and seeing where he is now. He's definitely being punished for it. Sarah has a line sort of indicating that Laogue will be sent to the hole that Majima escaped from. I don't know why I love that so much. <laughs> I think because it's sort of like replacing someone who didn't deserve to be there with someone who absolutely deserves to be there. It's a bit of like karma. That's like the best kind of punishment you can have. Yes. And it's a punishment that, I mean, it was undeserving for Majima to be punished with that, but it's something that he understands and he knows how bad it is. Exactly. And the fact that he's the one who gets to put him there is pretty satisfying. But he still hasn't decided whether or not to kill them yet. It's clear he's he's fighting to free Makoto, and I think he says something like, she'll never be free. And Sarah responds with, you've saved her. And I don't know, does Majima believe this? I think deep down he agrees, but right now he just doesn't. 
Is Dojima just standing in the background when Sarah keeps talking to Majima? He is. <laughs> he's figuring out how to escape. Yeah, he's just standing there holding his hand. But this is when Sarah, who's pretty much just taken over the Tojo, he tells Majima to go to Shimano and ask him to take responsibility for betraying the Tojo clan. Did Sarah just let Majima back into the Tojo clan by giving him this assignment? I don't think so. In a way, yes. But the way Sarah sees it, this doesn't relate to Tojo business. This is unfinished business. Well, I think it does, though, because he says, he literally says Tojo clan. (laughs) He says, take responsibility for betraying it. Maybe this is like a test to to make sure Majima still has it in him to carry out stuff. Yeah, I think he's sort of testing his loyalty and maybe it, maybe this is his opportunity to get back in the clan. But I feel like it's also Sarah giving Majima the choice to, to choose his destiny, to either move forward with wanting to go back into the Yakuza or back out now and say that I'm, I'm done. I'm done here. But then Majima heads out to meet with Shimano. And this scene has confused me for a long time. I'm still confused, to be honest. <laughs> I have a new theory about it. Is Majima, because, you know, he's been following the terms laid out by Sagawa or by Shimano, but is this now Majima laying out his terms for getting back into the family? You know, he's always had to do what Shimano said to get in, but now he has power. He has the upper hand. And is he offering, like, to lie for Shimano in exchange for being let back into the family? Because it seems like the, the options Majima is giving him is either kill me or let me into the family. Because if you kill me, Sarah will know you're the rat, you're the traitor. If you let me back in, I'll cover for you. And I feel like Shimano takes this offer and kills the Omi boss, then responds, tell Sarah the Shimano family has nothing to do with selling the empty lot to the Omi Alliance. Do you think that's what's happening here? I think it's it's the options, something that Majima previously never had. Yes, I think that's what's happening. What's it going to be? Am I back in the family, or is this family going to get erased? Does Majima know that he was at risk of getting shot, then? I think, yes. He revealed to Shimano that Sarah sent him there to figure out who the rat is. So Shimano now knows... Sarah knows he's the rat, so if Majima turns up dead, that's like, okay, 100%. Shimano's the rat. He needs to be removed from the family, probably killed. But if Majima lives and he cuts ties with the Omi Alliance, then he's choosing to be loyal to the Tojo clan. That's really risky for Majima, though. Yeah, it is. I'm still wrapping my mind around that. So wait, who's that guy across from him, the Omi headquarters so yeah when majima arrives at i'm assuming shimano headquarters sagawa is in the hallway and mentions like the head of the omi alliance is here and he and shimano are hammering out details of omi's tokyo debut so yeah shimano is meeting with the head of the omi alliance sagawa he doesn't seem shocked that he hears someone getting shot in there not that we see it but i feel like if you hear a gunshot, I feel like Sago would have rushed in if he wasn't expecting anything. I don't know. I feel like Sago is kind of a coward. 
a little bit in that way. And I think Majima saying that the Nikio has the lot, because then Sagwa's like, oh, so you're here to kill Shimano, which I think he was sent by Sarah to do that. But he uses that as leverage to say, you can let me back in the clan and I won't kill you. I, I feel like I'm still missing something. Not quite convinced about the me giving a gun to Shimano somehow leads me to proving myself to go back into the Tojo clan. Well, okay, so I think the line is, he's pointing the gun at Shimano and he says, Sarah wants the traitor out of the family. And then he passes the gun to Shimano and says, but for me, I'm a family man. So I think we can deduce from that that he wants to remain loyal to the Shimano family. And he's using this opportunity as leverage to accomplish that because this is the first time he's had any leverage over Shimano. And the leverage is that if he doesn't, if Shimano doesn't shoot the Omi guy, then he's going to go back and, and tell Sarah that. Guy's the rat. Yeah, if he doesn't cut ties with the Omi, it will be clear that he was the rat. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> but by the way, while this super intense conversation, which by the way involves a cocked gun, the Omi Alliance head is just sitting there sipping tea. He didn't think he was going to die that day. Yeah, well, I hope he enjoyed that cup of tea because it was his last. Next, Kiryu meets with Kazuma in prison and decides on his future. It seems pretty clear that Kazuma doesn't want Kiryu and the Yakuza, and Kiryu even says in meeting with him, like, you won't be happy about this, and we later find out what he was talking about is joining back with the Dojima family. Why is re-upping with the Dojima family the right choice? I don't know. I, that's the question I have for you. The only answer I feel like he really hints at for this is that he doesn't want to be in Kazuma's shadow. He says later he wants to make his own style of Yakuza. So maybe that's more what it's about is just... But it still it seems questionable, you know, why he would re-up with him. Um, the simple answer is that's the family he's in in the original game. So he kind of had to be. But then he reveals his new suit, which we will see throughout the rest of the series. And he says, I'm not feeling black or white these days. Does that tie back into the title again? Yes. It definitely plays into the title and kind of explains why his suit is gray, I think. That he's just, he's not black and white. I think it's to show that he's in the middle, that he mm -hmm. can take the best from both sides. And he's probably going to develop his own style and maybe graze the new way to go. Going back to his conversation with Shiwusawa, like, he doesn't want to have to pen his story with other people's blood. And so when we go back to that Shiwusawa quote, when he tells Kiryu to follow in Kazuma's footsteps. And my question was, is that what Kiryu wants? I feel like he pretty much says no at this point. He wants to create his own style of Yakuza. He's not going to follow in Kazuma's footsteps, even though that's what got him into this life. He still is doing it, I think, to repay Kazuma, but he's going to do it in his own way. But there is one thing. There's a dubbed line for Nishiki where they use a different voice actor and it's really obvious. <laughs> so when he says, huh, that's still him. But then when he says, where's the usual suit? It's a dubbed line. So tell me if you hear it. <laughs> Did you hear it? It sounds like it's accented. It's deeper. It's a deeper voice. But it sounds more nasally, though. Can you be nasally and deeper? 
I think so. But it's clearly not the same voice actor. Yeah. But when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's not Nishiki. <laughs> what the heck? But after uh, listening to that dubbed line, Kiryu chooses, he's choosing his own way in his own life. What do you think is specifically weighing on him the most that leads him to want to live his own life and be his own Yakuza? I think it's the moment when he's in the middle of fighting with Shibusawa when he learns more about Kazama and Shibusawa starts to plant seeds of doubt into him saying that he's he's no different, um, he's just using Tachibana and Makoto. So whether or not Kiryu thinks that Kazama did something right or wrong, I think he wants to distance himself from that. And then... <laughs> He says to Nishiki, if it takes me the rest of my life, I'll pay you back. But then he immediately is like, oh, but you're gonna have to pay for dinner. <laughs> and it's a full circle going back to the food thing when they were just still young rookies for the Yakuza. They went to get food and that's how we really see them in episode one. And then you have this really neat closing that ends with them getting food. Yeah. It's a full circle. All right. Scene 10. Scene 10. <laughs> oh. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Kind of. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Majima makes his transformation, and Sagawa's choices catch up to him. Where do your notes begin? Um, Majima is also very lively. <laughs> so I just, just comment saying that he's very lively. <laughs> okay. Where does that fall in terms of timeline? <laughs> I, I feel like towards the end. Okay. Should I start then? Yeah, you go go ahead. I'll just jump in. We see Sagawa and Majima sort of have a nice conversation for the first time. Sagawa kind of mentions that they've been butting heads for a while. And then he says, but now we're colleagues. And I'm not sure I understand that statement. Because we know the Omi... And colleagues being in the Yakuza. Yeah, is it just because they're both Yakuza? Because we know the Omi and the Tojo are not together. Yeah, I think it's just them being both Yakuza, probably. Yeah. it It's a weird line, but maybe it has to do with, you know, he and Shimano were sworn brothers and Majima's part of that family. So maybe they're colleagues in that way, but it's confusing to me. I just wrote, huh? In my notes next to that line because I don't understand <laughs> it. Um... But, yes, Majima basically says, well, he got a haircut, he's got a new outfit, except for the shoes. The shoes are the same. Majima basically says, like, he wants to be unpredictable, he seems a little crazy now. We know from earlier that he's sort of admiring Nishitani and Lee and how they live their lives. So, I mean, does he see this as, because he spent so much time essentially in captivity so is him being sort of crazy sort of unpredictable unhinged if you will is this does this equal freedom to him is this a free majima i think so i think we already started that transition of being the free majima and this is him fully embracing his freedom yes it's like a fresh start for him he sort of ends his conversation with sagawa respectfully I mean, he compliments him and says, you're tenacity incarnate, and then goes on to say, I'll be tenacious too. So there's another person that Majima will carry with him throughout the rest of the series. 
What do you think their relationship is? It seems kind of complicated. It almost sounds like mentor-mentee, but not quite there yet. So maybe that's why there's colleagues, because there's no other way to describe Mm -hmm. where I'm still learning from you, but it doesn't mean you're higher than me. It's like, so does Majima respect the challenge that Sagawa has been? Is that what the relationship is? And does Sagawa respect Majima for... Besting him. Yeah, for besting him, for busting out of his cage. I think there is definitely mutual respect. I think so. Even though I think they still sort of hate each other a little bit. And I think it's the same kind of admiration that Kuse has for Kiryu. But then, new outfit, new haircut, Majima, he walks away. Transformation is complete. Classy Majima is gone. That is the last we see of him. Um, We'll get glimpses. We'll get glimpses. And after he walks away, some men show up behind Sagawa. And he says, I knew you'd come. We see that they're wearing Omi Alliance pins, and they kill him. And I'm just realizing that we completely did not prepare a so long for Sagawa, so we'll do this one on the fly. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I can go first, because I I feel like I have a lot of conflicting thoughts about this. All right, let us know. Is he a so long mother respecter, or a so long mother? (coughs) So I want to start with the so long mother, (coughs) because... He pretty much trapped Majima in a way. He would complicate things and manipulate him by upping the price of how much Majima needed to pay him back. And he would withhold details from him. He'd play him. He pretty much wanted to take him out in the bathroom when he was mad that Majima was holding facts back from him. Yep, the throat grab. And for those reasons, I feel like it's a it's a solemn... <laughs> but on the other hand, you have him... Starting to seem like he's siding with Majima, being proud of him for standing up for himself, for busting out of the cage, and starting to redeem himself. And in the end, like, you see their good relationship. So I feel like when you net those two, he's more of the Solong mother respecter, but just only by a smidge. Yes, I think this is the toughest one. Honestly, because it is he is my absolute favorite villain in this game, but I'm not 100% convinced he's all bad because it's just devotion to his job, I think, of being in the Yakuza. Unlike with Awano or with Nishitani, you know, we don't see him groping people. We don't see him shoot innocent people. I mean, what's the worst thing we see him do? Beat up Majima? I think that is... The worst thing. Just manipulation and beating up. Yeah, but is that just part of his job? Is that just him being professional? And can you blame that for him when the game is called Yakuza? This is a hard one because I was leaning towards Mother (laughs) at first, but now I'm realizing, like, compared to some other people that we've done this for, he's really not that bad. Like you said, he can manipulate. But I don't know that he is... 100% 100% bad. I think his mm-hmm. his parents feeding his bird to their cat screwed him up. I think he definitely has psychological issues. Does that make him a mother? <coughs> I don't know. And even the fact that he says, I knew you'd come when the Omi shows up to kill him, it shows that he knows that there are consequences to his actions, which I feel like we don't see with other characters in this game. I don't think he's fully earned the mother <laughs> title. 
I agree. I think he's redeemed himself to escape falling into that mud category. Because there's like a spectrum because you have him skimming that edge and then you have people like Ishitani who are truly <laughs> and like Oda. And so when you put them in the same category of mother I feel like that's not doing him justice. Mm -hmm. But it's also like you can't put him in the same category as like Lee and Sagawa also in the mother respecters. Mm -hmm. So he's in that borderline. Into his demise, um why do they kill Sagawa? Is it because the deal with his, his sworn brother Shimino failed and as a result the head of the Ome Alliance was murdered. Is Saiwa the one who has to take responsibility for this? Throughout the game, we've we've seen the theme of accountability. If we go by the same logic, accountability for the, the Omi head's murder at the hands of Shimano would fall to Sagawa as they were sworn, sworn brothers. Do you think that's what it is? Is responsibility just on Sagawa for the death of the leader of the Omi Alliance? I actually... Don't think it's that simple. I think Shimano sold Sagawa out. So the only people there to witness the Omi head's death is Sagawa, Shimano, Majima, and of course the guy who died. <laughs> but I also do think that Shimano probably told the Omi Alliance that Sagawa manipulated the situation or something that would blame Sagawa so Shimano could continue his relationship with Omi Alliance and continue being that rat without needing to face the repercussions of what Majima originally proposed and what Sera was was trying to get Shimano to do. I think Shimano is playing everyone. He does say, I knew you'd come. So he's expecting this. So does that mean he knows, like, they see him as responsible for this blunder? I mean, I think we should maybe first decide, is he killed because the head of the Omi's dead? I think so, yes. Okay, so I think we both agree on that. So it's just how does blame fall on him, I think, is the question for this. Is it just accountability because his sworn brother did it and they can only punish someone within, you know, their organization? Or did Shimano sell him out? I think Shimano sold him out. I, I don't think we can know. I think what we do know is he was killed as punishment for the head of the Omi Alliance being murdered. I need to turn on my foot warmer. Dude, why are you turning on your foot warmer? My feet are cold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, scene 11. This is it. Kathy, we're here. And the after credits, don't forget that. Of course, but we're here. Majima checks in on Makoto. Are you ready to fight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let me just start summarizing the key points from the beginning, but uh, chime in if you have anything mm -hmm. to say. Okay. We see Makoto and her doctor being harassed by some guys and it seems like the new makoto is still here it seems like she's learned from majima it kind of feels like she's acting like him in a way and how she's standing up to protect the doctor old makoto never would have been this brazen to slap a yakuza across the face do you think this is still the new makoto do you think she is sort of emulating majima i feel like this is version three of makoto so <laughs> A new version of the new Makoto. Makoto 3.0? Yes. But then Majima walks up and we learn that these are Majima's men. They start to say to Makoto, do you know who this is? And are going to say his name. And that's when he punches them. 
because he knows she still hasn't heard his name. She does not recognize him. Her vision's 100% back. This is the first time she's seen him, but she doesn't even know it. And it pains me. But in the meantime, Lady Doctor has run away to get a new male doctor who seems to be looking after Makoto, at which point Majima seems to know there's something up, and he pulls him aside and asks him if he loves her and says, basically, you better protect her. Then he walks away. I know you've got something to say, so I'll pass it to you. <laughs> I hate the scene. I hate it so much. Like, first of all... Go, 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 go. <laughs> right? Right? Like, how many people have only one eye in the city? It's like, there's not a lot of people who only have one eye in the city. She knows her savior is probably around the area. Can't she just put two and two together? Why didn't she even ask for his name in the beginning? I know. Well, and then she says... His eye looked so sad. So she knows he only has one eye and she knew that about him <laughs> the whole time. Right? I just, like, I, I hate to say this, but is she really that? I don't want, I don't, Naive doesn't fit. I, I really, it's dumb. Well, I think perhaps she starts to think, was this him? Because she sort of watches him leave and it seems like maybe the wheels are spinning a little bit. So I think she, she might wonder, but she can't be sure. That's how I read the situation. She should have asked. <laughs> Seriously, like, from Majima's perspective, the poor guy's still in love with her, but he doesn't fess up or say anything. And I get why. I get why he doesn't want to say anything to Makoto because she's finally away from all this crap storm that he tried to get her away from. And he knows that if she knows, he's probably putting her life in danger. But what makes me so, so mad is that he took away her choice to decide whether or not she wants to have anything to do with him. And I understand that. But at the same time, Majima gets a choice too. And his choice is to not reveal who he is in case she would track him down. That puts her potentially in danger. So yes, he takes away her choice, but he still gets a choice too. And he makes the choice that he feels, in my opinion, <laughs> is the best for her. Is that necessarily fair? No. But I think it's right. <laughs> I think you disagree. I disagree because he didn't give her all the facts and all the truth and like he didn't lay out all the cards for her to choose. And so his choice, yes, he has a choice, but he took away her choice by making his choice. Yes. You know I, I, I hear what you're saying, but it goes both ways. If he gives her a choice, then her choice takes away his yeah. choice. So it's a it's a lose-lose situation. But then if you go back to what Majima says to Nishitani, you know, like he has an obligation for giving her her life back. He kept her alive. This is him doing his utmost to fulfill that promise, to allow her to have a normal life. Majima has chosen to stay in the Shimano family to be a Yakuza. So if he gave her that choice to to be with him, he, I think, would never feel like he fulfilled his obligation for her, and I think he would have guilt every day it could be putting her in danger, being associated with him. Can I get that? And It doesn't make it not suck. <laughs> but doesn't he realize that there's a chance that what if she starts asking around and it just gets them both in trouble? And which could have been avoided if he was just being truthful and let her know everything. He's assuming that Makoto doesn't want anything to yes. do with him. 
And what if she does? What if she starts asking around, knocking on people's doors, asking about this Yakuza who only has one eye who wanted to come and kill me? Like, what if she starts raising flags everywhere? Is it bad that I'm mad that she's not out looking for him? <laughs> no, it's understandable. But I think her looking for Majima would be equal to when Kiryu has that conversation with her, you can stand still and cry or take the next step. I think her looking for Majima would be her stuck not taking the next step. That's the thing. Can you put it behind you, though? With everything, like, that circle, it seems contained, but sometimes it's not because she still was part of it. She still was infected with this Yakuza realm of, of activities. And so can she put it behind her? And is she okay with leaving behind the whole revenge with her brother? H how is she going to move forward? That's a good question. And I, I don't know if we can assume this, but we know she met with Sarah. She met with the Cosma family who took her to the hospital. So I would assume that they assured her, we're handling this. This is what you do to save Tachibana. You give us this lot, we take them down. So we can assume that, but we can't know that. That makes me think about, like, when you talk about Sarah, is that maybe this is just wishful thinking, but her remaining friendship with the doctor, who obviously is probably on Sarah's payroll, uh, maybe that's her connection to the Yakuza link. And then I have a section of notes that we can discuss that I titled Majima. Mm -hmm. Why does he walk away? <laughs> so let's explore oh my gosh. possible reasons for why he left. Um, my first point is, for him, the Yakuza is the only way to live as the person that these events have turned him into. Everything that's happened in, in this game sort of forces him into a life in the Yakuza. That's the only way he can sort of function anymore. So I think then when he sees that this doctor is in love with her, he can see like she's, she can be safe, she can be free, she can have a normal life. She probably can't have that with a man that's in the Yakuza. Yeah. Next point. <laughs> I get that. Don't want to agree, but I get that. Next point. Um, in Chapter 7, Lee's quote, Once you step in the shadows, you're stained black for life. This, I think, stuck with Majima. And I do think that this is a big reason why he chooses to walk away in the finale. Because he knows, like, he's been in the shadows. And he even agreed with Lee in that chapter. Like, he knows he's stained for life. And being with Makoto, some of that stain, you know, would rub off on her. So now, sort of leaning onto your side of things, I have something that I don't understand. Which is, when Sarah convinces Majima to let Dojima and Laogui live, when he does this, does he think that she is safe with them alive for a while? Majima sees the only way for her to be safe as killing the people responsible for causing her harm. If he had killed them, do you think he would have felt she's safe enough to be with her? I don't think whether or not he killed them or them dying impacted his decision to not talk to Makoto or his decision to walk away. I think those are different things because no matter what the outcome would have stayed the same, so I just want to say one note about their connection and why I think it started so immediately. Makoto is the only person, and I think is certainly the only person that we see this with, to have ever felt bad for Majima. 
she says like poor yeah. thing. So is she the only person who has ever, you know, had empathy for Majma and his situation and what he's lost? Because most people in his circle just see what happened to him as punishment for his choices. So is sort of like her humanity, is that what draws him in so much? I don't know if it's that she feels bad or if it's pity, but I definitely think that Majima recognizes her understanding of the situation and her kindness and gentleness. So yes, it's genuine understanding, empathy, and kindness that she shows him. But what's your final verdict on this decision, Kathy? I disagree with it. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't agree with him making his choice of Makoto not having a choice. I love it. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I love the writing. I love how sad it makes me. The romantic in me totally rebuttals everything you say. See, it's funny because I think it is super romantic. I think it's the most loving thing he could have done is to protect her in this way. I think it's the only decision. And I think he doesn't want all of the time that he spent with her and all of the effort to keep her safe. He doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize that. He's seen what Makoto has gone through, getting shot and almost died. He doesn't want to risk anything to reverse him saving her. And so, yeah, honestly, I think the most loving thing he can do is walk away to keep her safe and ensure that that doctor protects her, takes care of her, and makes her happy. He gives her the life that he was obligated to give her. There's a gnat on my microphone. I think it went my mouth. <laughs> Get away! <laughs> Sorry. We Continue. need the <laughs> No, but here's the thing. I do agree with you that that's the most living decision he can make, but it doesn't necessarily mean I think it's the best decision. And at some point, you can't be so selfless to the fact where you just give up and it causes Makoto's chance at getting to know him. And maybe, yes, she's going to be in danger by sticking around with him. But I do think that it also means that she has that chance to experience life with someone that saved her, that she loved, that's been through so much, that has so much mm -hmm. history with each other. And, and I do think that maybe sometimes... Being in danger, that risk is worth being with Majima, but we won't ever know because Majima took choice from her and I can't get over that. Yes, at that point of time, when her life was in danger, it made sense to distance her from everything going on, but her life isn't in immediate danger right now. And so I do think that he should have alerted her or, or signified or like hint at something so she could put two and two or give her the options of her having a way out. I hear you, but here here's another thing. Okay. <laughs> She's already getting bothered by Yakuza in the street. These are Majima's men. And if his family is bothering her, what's to stop anyone else from bothering her? So like keeping her as separated as possible. I think him even just seeing this exchange is him like, I just can't. Like, maybe even as he was walking up, he still considered. I mean, because he waited to see if she would recognize him. I think if she had recognized him, this would have gone so much differently. But he sees that this is the only chance for him to do what he can to protect her. 
But how can she recognize him, though, if she's been blind this entire thing? And his energy. <laughs> the vibe. The shadow of his face. His one eye. I mean, come right. on, Makoto, you're right. But, exactly. But I, I do think that um, because if she was with Majima, the Yakuza would have never, his men would have never claimed her earlier. Sure. But there's going to be rivalries in the Yakuza, and him being associated with her might put her in greater danger if someone needs leverage over Majima for anything. Like, she could be blackmail. Let me make you really angry. Okay. <laughs> go for it. Let's go back to our little disagreement in Chapter 15. When Shimano reveals that his plan was to manipulate Makoto into falling in love with Majima, I believe he is, even if just momentarily, doubting if the love from her is authentic. I don't doubt his love for her. I think he knows that's authentic. But I think he has to question how much of her love for him is truly authentic, how much of it is just the situation she was placed in. If we can go back to that argument, that could still be a factor in his decision to walk away. If he's not sure her love is 100% authentic, then dragging her back into the world of the Yakuza is a no-go. He's definitely not going to risk it if he's not sure how authentic the love is. First of all, freaking Shimano, who makes it sound like she has Stockholm Syndrome or something, right? (laughs) Shimano's a turd. He's a big purple turd. Yeah. That's for sure. I don't. I do not disagree with yeah. you about Shimano. He's a butthead. He's a butthead. But I. I feel like Majima's being stupid here. If you really want to know, he should just ask Makoto <laughs> point blank. It's just like. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I don't think asking her is going to solve the issue because, in his point of view, from my point of view, <laughs> her love is it's a product of the situation. So even if she believes she's in love with him, Majima can't be sure how authentic it truly is, how long it will last if the situation is over. So her even saying, like, yes, I love you, he can't be sure that that's not still just her being manipulated. I feel like when Shimano was still around, those were her feelings. Yes, they were important, but they weren't their priorities because they had so much other things going on. Right now... Those things don't exist, and she's not kidnapped anymore. Now's the right time to to see if there even is a chance and a possibility of potentially dating, and then see if those relationships are authentic in a unbiased and a neutral environment. I I see what you're saying, and I feel like I mostly agree with you. <laughs> I think his just that little tiny grain of doubt planted by Shimano is enough for him to not want to risk her her safety. It doesn't mean it doesn't make me sad. It ruins me. I want Majima to be happy. I want them to be together. But him doing this is a necessary step in his obligation to keep her safe. I, I agree with you because I know that it's the most loving thing. It adds so much depth and history and understanding to Majima's character. And if any character was to do that, it would be Majima to be the one who's, it's in his blood to put others above himself. And it makes sense why he does mm-hmm. it. I just don't agree. <laughs> well, and when she even says his eye was so sad, he absolutely is hating that he has to do this. I think he, everything in him is like, Makoto, it's me, you know. Yeah. But he just knows he can't do that. And he is sad, and I think it wrecks him up. But he just knew he had to do it. 
But I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic writing. It's, it's fantastic for people like you who are okay without happy endings. I like my happily ever after. It doesn't have to be like a white picket fence and stuff, but I just, it hurts too much. Oh, I would have loved to see Makoto like there together and she becomes like a lady boss in the Yakuza. I would see that. I would, I would love, love that. that. <laughs> are you kidding? But it's just not what she wants. And I think Majima knows like this, that life isn't what she wants and being associated with the people who hurt her brother. It, I mean, it could just be torture for her every day. I'm just kind of mad because you, you, you talk about, or not you, but I talk about mm-hmm. Majima being selfless and, and giving up his, his whole love life or not love life, but he gives up the love of his life just to make sure she's safe. But if he really, really loved her and stuff, he would have gave up the Yakuza life. Yes, that is something I would, I would have 100% agreed with you up until this replay. Um, really? Because of things that Lee says, like, you're stained for life. And we see that with Lee. He ends up dead at the hands of a mafia. He realizes that he is just, it's too late. He is attached to this life. He's stained for life. And it's just, it's the only option for him. If that's the case, do you think up to the scene where he gives the gun to Shimano and says, my family man, and acknowledges that he's part of the prison now, do you think at that point he already knew he was never going to see Makoto and he already gave her up at that point? I want to say he knew, but he didn't want to admit it. He was in denial. Yeah, and I think if Makoto had recognized him, he would not have walked away. So I think he did know, but he didn't want to admit it until he realized she doesn't recognize me. The safest thing for her is for me to walk away. I I get what you're saying. Goodness gracious. I feel like you don't have to like it, though. You don't have to like it. That's true. And I see everything from your perspective. I understand it. I just, because of me not liking it so much, makes it so difficult for me to agree. But, I mean, have we beat this horse to death? Do we need to move on to the after credits scene? We need to move on because go on this for another hour. Get ready to cry some more. (laughs) All right, so after credits scene, Makoto visits Tachibana at the empty lot and makes a discovery. Kiryu and Majima finally cross paths. So let's get started. The watch is back. We saw it in chapter 7. It was, she says, a memento from when my life was normal and comments that hearing the chime makes her smile, but it's broken. And then she says, I'd love to hear it chime again. Ultimately, in that scene, she leaves the watch, but Majima picks it up. Do you think this sets her back, though? Because the purpose of leaving the watch was to leave that part of her life. But in a way, she kind of is back in that normal life. So do you think the watch signifies that she kind of jumps back and pretends like nothing happens? Or do you think this sets her back emotionally thinking that she knows it's Majima who fixed this watch? Where's her mental state after seeing this watch? This might be a cop-out, but I'm going to say kind of both. The first thing I'm going to say is, like she said that is a memento from when life was normal. She has returned to that normal life before all these horrible things happened to her. But also, she seems to know it's from Majima. She says, thank you. And now this watch that has always brought her comfort 
it does it again because it reminds her of Majima. So I think in a way it could stunt her emotionally, but I do think that she needs a piece of him. I think a lot of characters in this game, they can't fully forget what happens because it does so much to shape who they turn into. Do you think it comforts Majima knowing that he gave back the watch to her? I think, I mean, I think he just knows her. He knows she'll be back to the spot where Tachibana died. And he just leaves it for her because he knows how important it was to her. And I think this is him. He couldn't say goodbye to her as Majima face to face. So this is him saying goodbye to her from him as much as he can. And I do think that in some way it gives him comfort that yeah, she was finally able to, to wrap up all the loose ends of giving her that normal life. Agreed. And then there's one more quote from chapter seven that I want to address that Majima says. He says, hang on to it long enough and eventually it will bring you good luck. And Majima has had this watch the whole game. Can you make the argument that it brought him good luck through the events of this game? I think so. I, I agree. And it makes me wonder that because he gave that watch back to Makoto, like, does he no longer have his good luck charm then? I think he decides he doesn't need it anymore. I think that's part of his transformation. I don't need luck. I'm Majima. <laughs> I'm tenacious. I'm crazy. I'm unpredictable. I make my own luck. And I think, yeah, he's he's not really letting go of it. I think he's just saying, I don't need it anymore. It's heart-wrenching. A hundred percent. I've never cried so hard at a video game. <laughs> this is like the Titanic, except in a better way. And in a more understanding way, because they do it so well. And, and hearing us go through the arguments of together versus not together, it takes away any room where you could debate saying that Jack could, totally could have fit on that, that piece of board and everything. <laughs> it takes away from any speculation of this could have been done differently. There's no room for doubts. Exactly. And that's why it's like, you can be sad about it, but you can't really be mad about it. The other thing is I understand your side so well. I don't feel the urge to want to write a letter to the writers and say that you messed up because I understand it so well. I just wished it ended differently. You want some fan fiction. Right. <laughs> it's just a flawless tragedy. And it's meant to be that way. It's mm -hmm. meant to make you feel these feelings and these emotions. We're going to have a summary episode, so I don't know if we should keep talking. I think it's best to end it here. Agreed. Next episode will be the conclusion of Yakuza 0. We will summarize anything we've got burning questions on, character arcs. I'm excited for it. Me too. I can't believe we actually did it. We talked about the scene, Kathy. We finally got over it. After five, six months of burning desire to talk about it, we finally got to address it. I can feel the tension reducing in my shoulders. Right? Already. And I also feel like watching it the second time gave me more perspective. Well, on that note, I'll see you in the summary. See you in the summary. Let's stop. Voice recorder on one, three, two, one.